doing last week and uh, Hebrews chapter 8, if you've got your Bibles, I want to jump right in again to Hebrews chapter 8. We're comparing the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant, the Old Testament versus the New Testament, and why the New Testament is so far superior to the, the Old Testament. Hold on, give me just a second. I just got to write something down. All right, so we were in Hebrews chapter eight. We're going to pick up there again. Uh, We've got to settle in our hearts that the Lord's way is best. And when the Lord says, here's the way I want you to go, there should be no argument. We, that's the way we should go because he's, yeah, he's, he's the way. Hebrews chapter eight, here's the main point. We, you and I who live today, not the old covenant, We have a high priest who sat down in the place of honor beside the the throne of the majestic God in heaven. There he ministers in the heavenly tabernacle from a seated position, by the way. The one time we see him standing before the throne is when uh, he was ready. He was standing to receive Stephen. Did you know that? When Stephen was uh, being stoned, he said, I see the Lord standing uh, for me, and so he didn't say for me, but it was there. But he's ministering by seated, seated position, so he's not nervous or anxious like we are. The true place of worship that was built by the Lord, not by human hands. Since every high priest is required to offer gifts and sacrifices, our high priest must make an offering too. If he were here on earth, he would not even be a priest. Since there are already priests who offer gifts required by the law, they serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on the mountain. And as a reminder again, out with the old covenant, in with the new covenant is what we've been talking about. And the writer of Hebrews is, is helping us understand that the temple, the tabernacle, everything that was built in the old covenant was built as a replica of what is in heaven. This isn't a metaphor. There is a temple in heaven where Jesus has taken his blood and put on the mercy seat of God, not built by human hands, and for once in all, he sacrificed himself for us. And And so these priests here on earth in this shadow, in this copy, they offer sacrifices every single day for their own sins and for the sins of the people. But we don't have that now. We have Jesus who offers a better covenant. And that's what he said. That's why Moses was told, make sure you build the, the tabernacle the way I tell you because it's a copy of what's in heaven. But now, verse six, Jesus, our high priest, listen to the wording, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is one who mediates for us a far better covenant with with God based on better promises. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would be no need for a second covenant to replace it. But God found fault with the people and he said this. From Jeremiah chapter 31, he prophesies. Jeremiah prophesies it, Hebrews writes it. The day is coming, says the Lord. I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah and every generation after. That's us. 
This covenant will not be one like I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and I led them out of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. They will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying you should know the Lord for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already and I will forgive their wickedness and will never again remember their sins when God speaks of a new covenant it means he made the first one obsolete it is now out of date and will soon disappear please understand when I preach or when I share messages like I just shared with you I'm not angry with you I'm not even upset with you I'm angry that there's an enemy who tries to keep us in bondage to our old life. He tries to keep us in bondage to sin. He tries to keep us in bondage to disease. He tries to keep us in bondage to fear and anxiety. And God wants us to be free. This is why that Jesus came and gave a far superior covenant. Now, just as a reminder, he put his law in this new covenant. He writes it right on our hearts. And we're gonna talk in depth about that today, what that means and why that's important. He writes it on our hearts because he's not writing it on tablets of stone. Remember the old covenant? Tablets of stone, here's the law, keep it. How'd that work? It didn't work. The people didn't keep it. They failed every single time. And so God comes and he writes now his laws on our hearts, not on covenants of stone, because he wants to change us. He wants to transform us into new people and not just restrict us. That was better than you thought. Okay, the old covenant, was the laws are written on tablets. If, if the new covenant to you is just the stuff written in this book, then it's just like the old covenant. It's just trying to, you're just trying to restrict yourself. You're just, you can't. The old covenant doesn't work. Behavior change isn't possible unless character change. And so God says, when you ask me, I will come and I will write my laws on your hearts because then that'll transform you and make you brand new. It'll make you new. And that's what he wants to do with us. And then he talks about this intimate relationship that he wants to have with every single one of us. And so when he says that we don't need to teach each other, as we talked about last week, that does not mean you don't need to be taught the word. It doesn't mean that other people can't speak into our lives and teach us how to follow the Lord. But what he's saying is, I wanna have an intimate relationship with you. I want you in in my word every day. I wanna speak to you. I don't wanna speak to Pastor Tom and have him speak on my behalf. I wanna speak to you. I don't want to speak to your friends and your neighbors and your your, your mentors. I mean, it's great to have those people in our lives. People speak into my life all the time. But I need to hear him speak to me. I need him to write his laws on my heart, not just what somebody else says. I can't live with what so-and-so teaches me. I have got to have God write it on my heart to transform me and change me. And that's what he wants. And then it ends with this. And we don't know how awesome this is. He says, I'm going to forgive their wickedness and never again remember their sins. In other words, as we talked about last week, he's no longer counting our sins against us. People do not go to hell today because of sin. 
Sin has been dealt with. It's no longer being held against anyone. People go to hell because they do not put faith in Jesus Christ. They do not believe in Jesus. That's what now damns us for all of eternity is a failure to put our trust in Jesus. Because Jesus dealt with sin. He dealt with my past sin, he's dealing with my present sin, and he's already covered my future sin. Now, let me look at one passage of scripture, and then we're gonna have communion. People are like, what? We're gonna have communion? Yeah, we're gonna have communion, because we're gonna seal the deal, and then we're gonna go to the rest of it, okay? Look at Galatians chapter three. This is what Paul is doing. He's writing to the Galatians, and in the book of Galatians, he deals with two errors, two errors. One is lasciviousness. That means it doesn't matter how I live, I can sin, I can do whatever because God's covered my future sin. That's not true, that's an error. It does matter how I live. Okay, so that matters. We have to make sure Paul writes that. But he also writes about another one, and that's legalism, meaning my behavior in some way changes my standing with God. My behavior never changes my standing with God. My behavior is not what's important. It's the blood of Jesus Christ and making sure that I just keep hiding myself in him. That doesn't mean I use that freedom. Man, that, that is freeing. I don't use my freedom to sin. No, I use my freedom to serve one another in love. So these are the things that Paul's talking about. And I want you to understand, oh foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you? Paul is, is saying, you're, being, you're trying to be yoked again to the law. That is witchcraft. I know that we thought witchcraft was Ouija boards and spooky eyes and scary movies, and that is demonic, but Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And if you're trying to make yourself right with God by your actions, that is demonic. Amen. You cannot make yourself right with God because then you set aside what Jesus did for you. And that's demonic because then fear and guilt and condemnation come in and he doesn't want, that doesn't mean you lose your salvation. It means that you are opening the door for demonic influence into your life guilt condemnation oh i'm just i'm i can't do anything right when i hear people say that something inside of me says stop it stop it what do you mean you can't do anything right you if you're a born again blood-bought saint and the holy spirit lives in you you can do everything right amen i'm preaching better than you're listening right now but you're going to catch up So let me ask you this, he says. For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It is, see, some of you think, well, I'm not getting healed because I'm not a good enough Christian. I'm not getting, I'm not hearing God. Put your faith in him. That's how you hear God. That's how you receive anything from God. If it mattered how I lived, 
we, I would be in so much trouble. All that my sin does is separate me from him. It causes me not to want to draw near to him. Guilt causes me not to want to draw near. It makes me feel like I'm not worthy to draw near. Well, of course I'm not worthy to draw near. That's why he came. Paul says, this is so simple. Don't make it hard. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. In the same way, Abraham believed God. God counted him as righteousness because of his faith. The real children of Abraham are those who put their faith in God. You gotta understand this. The reason that we're told to take communion regularly, because Jesus said it, do it. Paul said it, do it often. The reason we do it is to remind ourselves this is what it's all about. That I am in right standing with God, not because I go to church, not because I go to Sunday school, not because I read my Bible, not because I pray. I mean, that helps me win my daily battle. But what, the reason I'm in right standing with God is this. And when we take it, Paul says, as often as you do this, you proclaim his death. So what you are saying to yourself What you are saying to everyone around you, what you are saying to every demonic influence around is that it's the blood of Jesus Christ that makes me right. And I have access to him because of it. And so I won't be bound again to sin. Remember, Jesus said, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. So I don't need to be bound to sin. He set me free. I won't be bound again to the law because this set me free from the law. Some of you are going to have a hard time believing this. He wants you to walk free. And so we're going to take communion. We're going to seal the deal. We're going to remind ourselves in the middle of a sermon that we can do this. Because here's what we've done. We have taken this and we have made it a ceremony. It isn't a ceremony. Now, the scripture says, don't take communion irreverently. And so we think that means soft music has to play. And, you know, we should confess every sin we can possibly think of and get in right standing with God. But as I taught you a few weeks ago, when Paul was saying, don't take it irreverently, he was reprimanding the church for the way they were treating each other. They weren't concerned about the needs of others. They were putting themselves ahead of others. And so, you know, we take communion with this nice ceremony and soft music, and then we go out and we slander our brothers and sisters, and we think we have not taken communion irreverently, but we have. Because the way we're treating one another in the body of Christ is more important than whether soft music plays when I take this. Does that make sense? And there are people in the body of Christ. I have been in the church a long time and I have seen it. I have participated in it where we think we're doing God a service by criticizing people's flaws. Guess what, church? I'm gonna shock you right now. I have flaws. I know. Take a minute and soak that in. I know it's gonna take some time. I mean, I can't tell you that this, this message that I'm about to share the second half to about God laying open our hearts, man, God has ripped open my heart over the last several weeks, several months. He's been laying this foundation. And Brian Jarrett, when we were out in Rapid City just a few weeks ago, man, he just laid it out there. And I felt like, the, I mean, it was one of those God moments where you're just like, oh, but I don't want to hide from God. When he shows me all of the evil that's in my heart, I don't want to hide from him. I want to, God, come and write your law on my heart. Because th- that shouldn't be there. And I'm, I'm safe 
I'm safe. And when we condemn other people for the way that they live and the flaws that they have, what we're doing is saying, God, your grace isn't enough to cover their mistakes, but it covers mine. And that's what Paul says. So stop it. Stop mistreating others. Stop not caring about others. Be involved in one another's lives. That's what Paul says. But as far as communion, take it every day. Pack it in your lunch. Take it by yourself. I mean, this, it's, just, it's just a constant reminder. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that sets me free. I don't care if it's wine, grape juice, or Mountain Dew. Praise God. It doesn't matter what it is. Just take a minute and remind yourself, it's the blood of Jesus Christ that sets me free. Take it at home every meal you have because it's his blood that sets us free. And so before we move on to the next part, because you might get confused and think I'm contradicting everything I just said, we're gonna seal the deal. So I'm gonna invite the deacons to come and those that are helping me serve. And we're gonna serve you communion and uh, then we're gonna partake it together.
I am free, how can it be? How can it be? Father, I pray that that truth would just be ground into our spirits right now. God, that it's by the blood of Jesus Christ that we are free. He is our righteousness. He is our author and perfecter of salvation. Forgive us, God, for for allowing ourselves in any way to be enslaved to sin again. Forgive us for allowing our minds and hearts to be enslaved to the law again. God, we want, we want to know the freedom that Jesus Christ purchased for us. And so today we come into your presence because of his sacrifice. And as we take these elements, we're reminding ourselves, we're proclaiming right now his death, his sacrifice for us, that we are right with you only because of what he has done for us. And so God, we receive that today and we wanna walk in that today. Seal that in our hearts as we take these elements today. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, go ahead and take those elements and then just begin to take a few seconds and just thank him for what he's done. Hallelujah. I mean, we could go home now and be done, right? Praise God. But we're not gonna. Because we're gonna finish. See, God right now is in the process of writing his laws on our hearts. He has brought us into intimate relationship with him. He has done all of these things he's promised. He's no longer remembering our sins You know, when the enemy comes in and says, oh, you remember, this is who you are. No, it's not who I am anymore. I am hidden. My old life is dead and I'm hidden in Christ. I don't even argue with him. I don't even argue with him because my life is hidden in Christ. It doesn't exist any longer. And so as God writes his laws on our hearts, he's trying to change us from the inside out. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter four. Therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord. You gotta understand this. We, every one of us, is going to be a slave to something. If we're either gonna be slaves to the law, we're gonna be slaves to sin, or we're gonna turn ourselves over to the Lord and be his slaves. And let me tell you something. You pick the law, let me show you. This is what the law does versus what the Holy Spirit does. You want to be a slave to the law? It will crush you. It will crush you. You want to be a slave to sin? I promise you this. There is pleasure in sin for a season, but it will destroy you. The thief comes only to steal, only to steal, to kill, and to destroy So the end of the road, if you allow sin to continue in your life, the end of your road is only destruction. So don't choose to be a slave to sin anymore. 
Don't choose to be a slave to the law. Make yourself a slave to the Lord because he loves us. He's not counting our sin against us. He's reaching out to us. He's pouring grace and mercy every morning into our lives. That's who I want to be a slave to. So I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. You have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Because if you become a slave to God, we need humility. We need to say, God, I know there's things in my heart that aren't right. I know they are. And I'm going to show you how we know that in, a, in just a minute. I know there's things in my heart that I need to repent of. I know there's things that you're exposing. I'm, I'm, I'm going to refuse to blame my spouse. I'm going to refuse to blame my parents. I'm going to refuse to blame anyone, my boss, any person. I'm going to refuse to blame them. But you don't, Pastor Tom, they were mean to me. If it exposed something in your heart, please do not put the blame on them. Just let the Lord work it in your heart. Be like Joseph that said, I know you meant it for evil, but God intended it for good. Because he worked Joseph's character to the point he could exalt Joseph to the throne in heaven. Some of you feel stuck. God wants to promote you, but you won't walk in what he's asked you to walk in. You want to blame someone else. You want to hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness. And and the Lord's like, I can't put you where I want to put you. It'll crush you. So let him work in our lives. His calling as sons and daughters of God. We are, all of us who have accepted Christ, are sons and daughters of God. Paul says, live like it. Live like it. We are not called to live better versions of ourselves. We are called to live like our Father. You are a son, you are a daughter of God, empowered with the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead to live like a son or daughter of God. That's why Jesus says, I know it says love your enemies, or love your neighbors and hate your enemies, but I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who persecute. See, do good doesn't mean just think good things. It means actually do something to bless them. Why? Because at the end of that passage, he says, be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. That's our calling. Now, here's here's the thing. I know that you and I are going to fall desperately short of that this week, and that's why we come back to this table. That's why I come back to this table. I remind myself, you know what? I didn't love my enemies. Obviously, God, you need to write that on my heart. You need to write that on my heart. You need to change who I am. I might as well just show you where it says this in the Bible so you know. Let's go to Matthew, or no, excuse me. I want to go to Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. I got to find it. Here we go. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. So here's the thing. You and I can have this book, The Tablets of Stone, and we can start thinking we're doing pretty good. You know, I... The rich young ruler, I keep all the commandments, and so we check them off. I, I keep that commandment, I keep that commandment, I keep that. But here's the thing, when you go to the Lord, he will always expose what's in our hearts. Remember the rich young ruler? How do I have eternal life? Jesus says, keep the commandments. 
And he lists off the commandments. And the young man says, I've kept all of those since I was young. And Jesus looked at his heart and said, sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Because the problem was greed. There was greed in the man's heart. He did selfishness. He didn't want to let go of what he had. And Jesus put his finger on it. And the man went away sad. See, you and I can start going to church and we can start doing all the Christian things and we can get our little checklists and think we're doing pretty good. But if we really want to be good, like our Father in heaven, remember Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only my Father in heaven is good. But if we want to be good and not just look good, I would rather look stupid in front of people and be good before God. I'm just done. I mean, I'm done caring what other people think about me. I'm like you. I want everyone to like me. I think it's great when people like me, and I feel bad when people don't like me. But I'm, I'm just to the point where I care so much more about what he wants than what people think. And that doesn't mean I walk on people. Quite the contrary. It means I have to love my enemies. Because if I'm mean to my enemies, people think that's okay. I mean, hey, you were wronged. You deserve to act that way. That's what other people say. Even good Christian folk like yourselves, that's what you say. That's what we say to people. Well, yeah, we, I absolutely understand. The thing is, Jesus understands too, but he also gave you his spirit to be perfect like his Father in heaven is perfect. So if you want to be good, then let's say, Lord, start exposing what's in our hearts. That's a dangerous prayer to pray because he'll answer it. He'll answer it. But you, you don't understand. This is good. This is so good. This is so good. And it'll be so devastating. I mean, you, there may be times where you get angry when God starts revealing what's in your heart. There may be times where you cry uncontrollably because God exposes what's in your heart. But no matter what happens, don't forget your righteousness is in Christ. I mean, he died for you knowing full well what was in your heart. Your heart may deceive you and me, but it never deceives him. And he knew what was in our hearts when he died for us. So how do we start figuring it out? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you three ways real quick. And then we're going to pray. Second Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Don't be confused. He uses it to prepare us to do every good work by making us new people. He doesn't just correct our behavior. He's correcting our hearts. Evil behavior comes from the heart. The words you speak, Jesus said, come from the heart. That's what defile you. From the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. That's everything. Any sin in our lives does not come from the outside of us. James says we're led away and enticed to sin by our own evil desires. The devil didn't make me do it. He just presented the evil desire that he knew was in my heart because he saw it in the past. The devil is not all-knowing. He can't read your mind and he can't read your heart. 
But when he sees your actions, you better believe he's gonna camp on those. And he's gonna keep presenting it to you because he knows you've got a weakness there. And so what we need is the Holy Spirit to write on our hearts something new. So I don't keep going back to that same watering hole. The word, when you read the word and your life in my life contradicts what's in this book, my life is wrong. Not just my actions, my heart. My heart is wrong. See, there's a lie that's being perpetuated where it says, you know, I know I did that wrong thing, but God knows my heart. That's a lie. Yes, God does know your heart, You don't know your heart because the wrong behavior you did came from your heart. It's still his righteousness, but he wants to write on your heart so that that doesn't come out next time. The word shows us what's in our hearts. It corrects us. The other thing, number two, is our actions or our reactions is probably better. Because we can control our actions, you know, in a good environment when everything's going okay, the sun's shining today, it's nice, you know, the roads aren't icy, and so everything is good, and uh, I have enough money for today because everything's closed and I don't have to pay any bills, and, uh, you know, there's food for today. But then when trouble comes, we act, we say we act out of character. No, we didn't act out of character. We acted in character. We were just fooled. When the pressure of your life comes and you snap, that's what's in our hearts. This is why it's so hard. Because when that stuff comes to the surface, I would rather it be someone else's fault. When I get frustrated even at a puppy, I would rather it be the puppy's fault. And it's not. I mean, if it revealed any level of frustration in my heart, it's my heart. But here's the thing. I'm not going to be condemned by it. I'm going to hide myself in his righteousness, and I'm going to say, God, write write on my heart because I want to be different. I don't want to just act different. I want to be different. And then the last one is it's a work of the Spirit. Remember, This is how the Holy Spirit works. The law crushes us. Picture, boom. That's the law. The Holy Spirit just turns on a little light switch. But I tell you what, it feels like the other one. (laughs) Doesn't it? I mean, but here, you gotta remember. It's not like God is up in heaven going, he already knew it was there when he offered you this. Okay? He just wants it to be dealt with now. And I promise you, when we get to the other side and we start dealing with some of this stuff, you're gonna be like, thanks, I'm glad we got there. And I'll have to tell you who told me and so then we can thank them so that we can all get there together. It's gonna be great. Galatians, again, chapter five. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves, what's in your heart. The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. Remember when Paul said, these two things are like at war in me? Who, I'm so miserable, because I want to do right, but then it's like some other law takes over. Who can set me free from this miserable existence? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, who sets me free. There is therefore now no condemnation 
for those in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 7 and 8, for those of you that are wondering. That's what he says. It sets me free. The Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. See how he's doing? You're not bound to the law anymore. You don't have to say, well, you know, I'm, I'll, how's it going? Well, you know, this week was a so-so week. I kept most of the law. But if you're guilty at one point in the law, you're guilty of all of it. You got to get free from the law. That doesn't mean freedom to live however we want. It's freedom to live by the Spirit. It's just freedom to come out from under condemnation. Well, one last scripture, Romans chapter 8. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. There you go. You have no obligation to do it. For if you live by what it desires, you will die. You cannot think that if you just stay in sin and you just keep living in sin and not exposing it and not saying, Lord, write your laws on my hearts, you will die. Sin is deceitful. We've already covered it in Hebrews. Don't let the deceitfulness of sin trick you. And it will look better than other people's sin, but it's still sin. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. You've been given power to put to death the desires in your heart. Every one of us. For all, I love this part, you gotta hear this part, who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. You received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Daddy. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm we are God's children. So the whole time he's writing his laws on your heart, in one ear he's whispering, you're mine, I love you. While he's taking that junk out of us. Cooperate with him. Trust him, because his ways are best. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back. And as they're getting ready, I want you just to take a moment and bow your heads. I want you just to prepare your heart. I want to give you time to respond to what the Lord is saying to you right now. Because if you're here and he's exposing something in your heart, you need to deal with it before you leave. And we're going to give you a chance to do that. And if you're here and maybe he hasn't exposed anything, but you say, you know what? I'm gonna agree with his word that my heart is desperately wicked. I know I'm his child. It doesn't change my standing because my standing with him is through Jesus. But my heart is desperately wicked. And it's only a matter of time before one of those things comes to the surface. And I want him to deal with it. I don't, I don't want him to deal with it after it comes to the surface. 
I want the Holy Spirit to turn on a light. I want him to use his word. I don't want to wait till I blow up at someone. I don't want to wait until I've ruined some moment and have to like really humble myself. I want to humble myself now. And so we're going to conclude with one last song that just says, Lord, purify our hearts. And if this is your prayer, you say, I want, I want my heart to be purified. Whether it's something you've already known or something he's just, you're just opening yourself up. I want to invite you to come. I want you to step out of your seat. I want you to come. If you want to kneel, if you want to stand, however you want to worship here in this front, but let's make this our concluding prayer. Lord, purify our hearts. If he's speaking to you, I want you to come. If your heart is open, I want you to come. Stand with me as we get ready to sing. As they start to sing, I want you to come. Don't wait, just step out. Let's fill these altars and let's make this our prayer, Lord. Purify our hearts. right standing with you right now. But God, we want you to come and 
continue to write your laws upon our hearts. We don't want to make excuses. We don't want to be bound to the law. We don't want to be bound to sin. We want to be bound to you. God, you are loving. You are faithful. You are kind. You are true. And we want to be bound to you and to nothing else. And so Holy Spirit, finish that work in our lives today. Finish that work in our lives each day. Give us hearts that are humble. Give us hearts that are quick to repent. Give us hearts that trust you. God, even in the midst of pain, in the midst of hardship, we want to trust you because you are good and you are faithful and you are kind. We love you, Lord. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for working in our hearts. Continue that work, I pray in Jesus' name. If you want to take time and continue to pray, we're just going to continue to play and just give you that moment. If you need to be dismissed, uh, please do it quietly. Let this be a place of prayer for those that want to pray. If you need prayer, I'm going to